for you who fear my name. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth again. Skip about like calves, coming from their stalls at last. Shall be my very own on the day that I cause you to be my special home. I shall spare you as a man has compassion on his son who does the best he can. Yeah, you might be thinking, why in the world will we sing a song or a hymn about the church? And uh, now I feel like now's a good time to, to kind of remind, as, I was, as we were singing it, here's what I was thinking. You know, one of the things we like to say in RUF is, uh, we don't go to church. Uh, you don't go to church. You are the church if you're a Christian. Uh, that's part of how the Bible describes you, that you belong to the church. Uh, Jesus loves the church. And, and sometimes you're asking the question, how can I, how can I grow um, in my faith? How can I grow while I'm in college? And one of the best, best answers is to say, like, we love for you to be involved with RUF. But RUF is not the church. We're an extension of the church. And one of the best ways you can get involved is getting involved uh, in a local church um, because you are the church. That being said, if you've been with us, we're working on a series uh, on the Ten Commandments. And we're calling it Conditions for Community. And the idea is thinking the first four commandments, we're thinking about what does community with God look like? What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's what we've been looking at tonight. We get to the third commandment. And then after spring break, we'll start digging into 5 through 10, which is thinking about what does it look like uh, for us to have community, the conditions of community together? What does it look like for us to love our neighbor as ourselves? So tonight, though, we get to the third commandment, and I'm just going to dive right in because there's a, kind of a lot I want to say. Um, and so if you have it, you have it in your handout. It's just Exodus 20. Exodus 20 is the place where God gives uh, his people uh, these ten words, these ten commandments. And here's what he says in Exodus 27. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let me pray for us, and then let's dive in. Let's pray first. Father, uh, we thank you that part of what it means to be a Christian is that you have given us your name. And Lord, I pray that as we think about what that means, and as we think about daily the ways that we, we have taken your name in vain, uh, Lord, if we're being honest, we know that we're not what we should be. As Christians, we know that we have fallen short. And if we don't know that, Lord, I pray tonight that you would bring a conviction by your word and by your spirit. But Lord, I pray that you would also bring hope, uh, the hope of what it means to belong to you, the hope of what it means to be those who bear your name. And Lord, I pray as we think about this together tonight, you would bring rich blessing for us, your people. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. What's in a name? When I say the following names, what do you think? Hitler. Gandhi. Stalin. Mother Teresa, Ryan Gosling. Mm, let's linger there for a second. <laughs> when we, names are something that's interesting. Names are something that are incredibly powerful. Names are something that represent 
oftentimes the heart of who someone is and, and oftentimes the heart of what someone is about and what they've done. And what I want to think about tonight is what does it mean that the Lord has given us his name? And what does he mean when he's saying that one of the things he hates is when we take that name in vain? Uh, I think hopefully you kind of know uh, that it's more than saying, you know, a cuss word. Like, I hope, I'm hoping tonight you're, you know, I'm hoping as we do each commandment, you're going to see like each, it's broader and bigger and cuts deeper than you ever thought it did. And so what I want to kind of look at tonight is we're going to use our kind of same pattern as we've looked at the first two commandments. And we're kind of asking four questions each time. And the four questions are basically this. What in the world does the commandment mean negatively? What does it mean positively? How does Jesus, how does it relate to Jesus? How does he fulfill and transform it? And then lastly, uh, how does it apply to you and to me? So first, let's kind of get, like approach it that way. What does it mean negatively? In other words, what is the Lord telling us he, he doesn't like, that he hates? What is he telling us that he, he, as his people, he does not want us to do? And I think this one's interesting because I think we can say it at least means two things negatively. That the Lord sort of hates two things in his people. One, on the one hand, is half-heartedness, and two, on the other hand, is hypocrisy. Half-heartedness and hypocrisy. That's what it means. If we cut deeper, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? We can say at least it means those two things. And let's kind of look at those one by one. First, that the Lord hates half-heartedness. Another way of saying it is, if you read, especially the Old Testament, even into Jesus and the Gospels and even into Paul's letters, one of the things that the Lord makes very, very clear is he wants us to either be hot or cold. That he wants us to either, we can say it this way, to crown him or to kill him. That he want, There's no room in Christianity for being on the fence. There's no room in Christianity for having one foot in, in Christianity and another foot in the world. There's no room for you're either wholly belong to him, he'll have all of you or none of you. What he can't have is half of you. That he doesn't sort of tolerate half-heartedness in his people. That's why you get to the end of Joshua. Joshua does that famous thing where Joshua's sort of the military leader. And he, and he does that incredible like gladiator speech or Braveheart speech or whatever current military movie is popular speech these days at the end where he sort of says as you know you have to decide to say whom the lord whom you will serve and he says as for me and my house we will serve the lord your god and part of what he's doing is he's calling his people out of half-heartedness into wholehearted wholly giving themselves to jesus wholly giving themselves to the lord i've always loved the way that c.s lewis puts it uh, as i love pretty much i think i'm gonna start counting like how many times i use c.s lewis in sermons because i know it's a lot but the reason, like, there's an illustration he gives that is always huge for me when we think about this point. Where this idea that you can't, the Lord doesn't tolerate half-heartedness in us. That he wants us to be wholehearted. He wants us to be either crown him or kill him. To be hot or cold, but there's no lukewarmness. Uh, and that's why he says in Revelation that, that lukewarmness makes him want to spit us out of his mouth. He wants us to be either for him or against him. And the illustration that Lewis gives is actually thinking about the Lord's work in our life. And here's what he says. Let me just read it, and then I'll unpack what I think, why I think it's important. You have it in your handout. He's talking about a house, and he's talking about imagining yourself as a Christian as a house. And here's what he says. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting in an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in, live in it himself. And you've probably heard that before. But here's the way I was thinking about today. Is I think there's part of us that wants the Lord to be an interior decorator. Sort of say like, okay, just 
this part needs to be fixed and that part needs to be fixed. And you know what the Lord is saying is he's, he's, the, he's a builder, he's an architect. He's, gonna, he does, he's not making us nice, he's making us new. And that's why he, he, he wants, he needs all of us. There's no such thing as him just saying, sort of imagine yourself as a house saying, Lord, you can have access to these rooms and you can work in the kitchen and you can work in the bathroom, but these rooms you can't touch. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. You misunderstood. You either wholly belong to me or you don't belong to me. There's no half-heartedness and there's no in-between. Crown me or kill me. Hot or cold. And the question for you and for me is, are, are you hot or are you cold? Are you, have you, are you crowning him or are you killing him? Are there parts of, of your sort of house, so to speak, where you're saying, okay, just make it nicer, but what's this business of like making this whole thing new? And the Lord is saying, no, I've come to make not nice people, but new, new people. So the first thing he's sort of saying that he hates in his people is half-heartedness. But then the second thing he's saying that he hates in his people is hypocrisy. And they're similar, but they're different. Hypocrisy is sort of claiming to be one thing, having pretense, pretending to be something that you're not. And this is real. I think the struggle for us is very real. Because especially if you've grown up in the South and if you grew up in the church, the, t- the temptation is you do it for a reason. There's something to gain by pretending to be a Christian. I think we're going to, as we live in America increasingly, I think that's going to go away. Where more and more, I think we're seeing, like, being a Christian, there's not as much to gain from it. But I think still, even especially in South Carolina, there's, there are things to gain from, from professing to be a Christian. If nothing more than you make your parents happy, you make your friends happy. And what the Lord is saying is he, he hates hypocrisy. That he hates when we sort of say one thing with our lips, but do a very different thing with our hearts. Which is why, you know, I have it in your handout, but in Isaiah, he says it the best in Isaiah when he sort of says this. He says, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And what he's saying is, he, if you read Isaiah, there are places where he says, I wish you would just stop meeting because your religious services make me want to throw up. Because they're fake. Because you're coming and you're doing one thing outwardly with your mouth, but you're doing a totally different thing when you leave with your heart. You're worshiping me outwardly, but you're worshiping something else inwardly. You're worshiping me you know, in public, but you're worshiping something else in private. And he's sort of saying that's what he calls hypocrisy. That's something that he says he is taking his name in vain. Um, it's, it's coming up in Easter, and uh, one of the things that I, every year gets me about Easter is every year my kids will bring home, whether it's from church or from school, you, these little chocolate bunnies, and they're like in the little, uh, you've seen them, they're the big chocolate bunnies, and they're in the little, you know, cardboard box. And it's like this huge, like, you know, one foot, half foot long bunny, and I'm like, okay, yes, my kids will get some of this, but dad, the dad tax will get a good, solid portion of this. And every year, uh, what, inevitably what happens with a lot of these bunnies is you have the experience where you bite into one of them, and it's completely hollow in the inside. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like the bunnies that look incredible and delicious. You're like, this is going to be amazing. And then you bite in and it's like completely hollow. You're like, you're crying. <laughs> and I think that's a, that's a picture of what the Lord's saying. There's a way of doing Christianity where it looks attractive on the outside, but on the inside it's completely hollow. And, you know, it's funny because I think sometimes we pretend like the Lord doesn't look upon the heart. You know, that's what he says to David, right? That the Lord, man looks upon the outward appearances, but the Lord looks upon the heart. He knows he sees. He knows what our hearts are drawn to. He knows whether our hearts are drawing near to him or something else. And he's saying to take his name in vain means we worship him with our lips, but our hearts are doing something else. Um, another way of thinking about it is, you know, Alyssa and I love to go to Charleston. Um, we went, I guess it was two years ago for our anniversary, and uh, we stayed in this nice little uh, hotel downtown. 
And we did the, the walking around Charleston thing, which is a lot of fun. And inevitably, Alyssa, my wife, loves history. And so as we're walking to some of the, like, the food and shopping that I like, we make these stops at some of the graveyards in Charleston. And if you've been to Charleston, you know the, some of the graveyards. Some of, Charleston's got some of the prettiest graveyards in the world. It sounds weird to say that, but... Just really, if you look, if you go into some of those graveyards, you see that the tombs are sort of elaborate and, and the, you know, the inscriptions are incredibly done and they're really well kept. And then the way that the Lord talks about hypocrisy, though, is he says, basically, when we do this, when we profess one thing outwardly but are another thing inwardly, we're like, Jesus says, whitewashed tombs, where we look beautiful on the outside, but inside is death and decay. And the question for, for you is, is, is that your experience with Christianity? Are you faking it? And here's the thing that you have to understand. Is the Lord can work with your honesty. Like, when you, like in the Gospels, I love the people. Like Remember, the, some of the most honest conversations are where Jesus meets you. The Lord can't work with pretense. I mean, he can work where he brings you from pretense to honesty. But when he brings you to honesty about, do you really believe the gospel? Or are you just sort of here because your friends are here? Or are you just sort of here because it makes your parents happy? Or are you sort of here because you grew up in Christianity? But the Lord can't really work with pretense. Because it's in honesty. It's in in being what we really are before him where he can meet us and say, do you believe in, in, in the gospel or not? Do you believe you need Jesus or not? Do you believe... In the Lord Jesus or not? Do you believe in grace or do you not? Do you understand grace or do you not? So the first thing that it means negatively is sort of it calls us away from both half-heartedness and hypocrisy. What does it mean positively then? So if it means those things negatively, what in the world does it mean positively? And here's where we begin to I think begin to get to a little bit of the good news of what it means to have the Lord's name and to bear his name and to carry his name. Is when you think about it, the Lord has given us his name. And when you think about the Old Testament in particular, there are lots of different names that he has given us. That he's basically saying, this is who I am to you. This is actually, when you think about the names of the Lord, I don't know if you've ever done a study of the names of the Lord. But when you think about the names of the Lord, part of what he's saying is, my name means something to you. You get to call me this. And when you call me this, it's saying something about my character and my work and my feelings on your behalf. So think about just two of the names in the Old Testament that I think are really sweet, as I was thinking about today, that, are, that the Lord gives to his people that he sort of says, you belong to me, these are my name that we know each other by. And here are two that I think of, you know, of several, 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 two that I think are huge. Here's the first one. The Lord calls himself Jehovah Jireh. And literally Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. What does it mean that, you, that that name is yours? That that is who God is to you? You believe in Jesus this is, his, this is who he is to you. What does it mean? Here's what it means. It means that when it comes to making plans, when it comes to thinking about your future, it keeps you away from two things. It keeps you away from being controlled by the past, controlled by anxiety, but it also keeps you from being controlled by the worries of, of what's going to be and what's going to happen. Because you can do, when you believe in Jehovah Jireh, that the Lord will provide for you, what does it free you up to do? It frees you up to plan wisely, but without worry. Because you ultimately know the Lord is going to take care of you. You ultimately know that, that, that Jehovah Jireh, you know, a sparrow falls to the ground. No one knows it, but the Lord knows it. The hairs of your, the, you know, the Lord says the sweet promises, the hairs of your, you know, when one of your hairs falls to the ground, the Lord knows it. The Lord will take care and provide for you. Now, it's interesting part of what does it mean? Not only does believe, bearing that name means you, you know the Lord in that way. 
Now, sometimes, you know, I used to have a mentor that would say, like, the Lord loves to put you in situations where he shows you how he provides. Like, I can remember, you know, when we had our first child, that was huge for us because here we were in seminary. We weren't planning on having J-Mac when we did. We had no insurance. It was one of those moments where we were like, we both, when we found out we were pregnant, we both, like, cussed at each other. And then we were like, what are we going to do? And then part of what the Lord did was show us the way he's going to provide. And part of the way he provided was my wife was a nanny for an OBGYN who happened to give us care for free and then happened to put us in touch with doctors who cared for us until we got insurance and got taken care of. And it's funny because my heart and your heart does the same thing where we are unbelieving when it comes to who the Lord said he is, who, to what and who the Lord has said he is to us. In those moments, it's hard to believe he's Jehovah Jireh. And yet he's given me that name to know him in that way and you too. But it means something, too, that it calls you to something, positively. Not only to believe and rest in the beauty of that, but it actually calls you to be like God in that way. To be the kind of person who speaks the comfort of the gospel into the, your friends' lives. That reminds them of the promises of who God is. Are you that kind of person? To be the kind of person, too, who actually loves to see needs met. As much as you can, with all the resources that you have, you love to see people who are in need to have those needs. And you're like... Stepping up to help meet those needs. That's part of what it means to be like God and Jehovah Jireh this way. But think about just one more. I mean, we could do several, but let's just do one more. Here's another one. Jehovah Nissi. It means the Lord is my banner. And I love this because the idea is the Lord, if you think about it in military terms, the banner going forth as, as kings and, and generals fight for their people. And the Lord is saying, this is who I am to my people. I'm their shield and protector. I'm their defender. I'm the one I love when, you know, when they're passing through the Red Sea later, you know, before we get to Exodus 20, and the Lord sort of says, sit back and watch me fight for you as I lead you out of Egypt and as I lead you out of slavery. That the Lord is one who, who fights for you. That he's not only fought sin and death and he's conquered the, your greatest enemies, but he also is he, he's your defender and protector. Um, and what does it mean to sort of trust him in that way? I love thinking about it like this uh, and in terms of thinking about he, the, 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 that he is our advocate that when you imagine the Father and Jesus talking, that they are for you, that the conversation is all about how much they love you and how much they're, you're, you are you know, everything to them. And I love the idea of, I don't know if you saw um, Dallas Buyers Club this year, but uh, Matthew McConaughey kind of plays this guy who ends up being, through circumstances, almost an advocate for the AIDS community. And the way he's sort of fighting for life for his, sort of the people he's come in touch with through his brokenness and through what he's experienced in the sickness of AIDS. He becomes in this beautiful scene. There's a scene where he's toward the end and he's dying, but he's still fighting for their life. He's fighting to find a cure. And there's a scene where tons of sort of people that, that have AIDS with him that have kind of gathered around him welcome him into this house party. And he's just, you sort of see the scene where here he is and he's an advocate. He's someone who's, he is trying to defend. He's trying to protect. He's trying to go after uh, those who are defenseless and those who are helpless. And what's interesting is that's who the Lord is to us, but what, again, possibly what does it mean is it means this is what the Lord has begun to do in you. That you want to be a defender of the defenseless. You want to be a helper of the helpless. That you want to help meet, not only help meet needs, but you want to help be a voice for those who are voiceless. A voice for those who have no means to a voice themselves. You know, it's funny, part of the thing about taking the Lord's name, when we were in seminary in Charlotte, uh, there was a couple in our church, a family in our church, who there was a homeless a son and a mother who had started attending our church. And his name was Alex, the guy that he was probably 11 or 12 at the time. And the mom was, all, the pattern was she would kind of come to a church and get need and get help. And then she would sort of find like a boyfriend and they would end up moving around. 
And so it happened that, that Alex kind of met this, the family. It's, the family is called the Samuelson, the Samuelsons. And uh, they had two kids themselves. And they were a great couple in the church. And, um, and Alex, as his mom sort of ended up leaving him behind, Alex really, uh, the Samuelson family, ended up adopting him. And Alex kind of went from this homeless teen who's, who had moved all over to actually Alex Samuelson. And I love thinking about that because he, they gave him their name. And that meant certain things. It gave him incredible privileges. Like he actually had not only a family, but he had means. He had resources that were incredible to, he could draw on. But it also came with certain privileges. I mean, certain responsibilities. Where it meant that he was now a Samuelson. He, he now is, you know, his name reflects upon the Samuelson family. And I think that's possibly part of what it means to, for the Lord to have given us his name. That it, and the one hand, it comes with these incredible privileges. That we, some of them that we've just talked about. But then it comes with incredible responsibility. That we really are to the world, and you know, when the world looks at us, it really does, we are speaking, in a, in a sense, for Jesus. We're speaking for the Lord. Which is why Gandhi would say, I love your Christ, but I hate your Christians, because they are so unlike your Christ. There's a sense in which we carry his name, and the question for you and for me are, how are we carrying it? Are we taking advantage of all the privileges of who God is to us, and all the names that he's given to us? And on the other hand, are we sort of bearing some of the responsibilities of what it means to to be godly, to be like him, to show our friends, to show the people around us what it means, what he's like in all of his graciousness and all of his uh, holiness. So first what it means, medically, second what it means positively, then I want you to think for, uh, with a second, think with me for a second about what it means for Jesus. How does Jesus sort of uh, fulfill and transform it? And this is where I think when you, when you think about a scene in Jesus' life, the scene that I keep thinking about is the scene where Jesus is baptized. Now, it's funny because, you know, we think of baptism as something basically for the forgiveness of sins. So why did Jesus get baptized? And it's interesting, if you understand baptism, baptism is, is, is actually, when you think about it in, in biblical terms, it's being baptized into someone's name. And there's a real sense in which Jesus, we know he's the son of God, he's, he's become one of us. But there's a real sense that at his baptism, he really is very publicly taking on the name of the Lord. Which, if you know through that scene in the Gospels, is why the Lord says, this is my beloved you know, listen to him. The Lord is affirming, he is carrying my name. He's, you've known him as Jesus, but now know him as the Christ. Jesus, interestingly, his name means, you know, Yahweh, the Lord saves. The Christ means the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. And it's at his baptism where he really takes on the public ministry of the Christ. So here's Jesus, and he's beginning to bear God's name in the world. And, and if you think about the ways he does that, it's pretty incredible. So on the one hand, he does it by bringing healing, like not just spiritual healing. But physical healing, the blind begin seeing. The paralyzed begin walking. Those who have died are raised to life again. He he begins to bring incredible physical blessing. But he also begins to bring incredible spiritual blessing. The outcasts are brought into the kingdom because they know their need for grace. Uh, You know, you think about uh, the forgiveness that so pisses off the Pharisees because they think, who is this man forgiving people of their sins? And we didn't even think these kind of sexual sins could be forgiven. And yet here he is, he's bringing forgiveness to his people. And he begins to bear the name of the Lord. But then he experiences a second baptism. And it's a baptism, we can say, in blood. It's a baptism at the cross. It's a baptism in sin. It's a baptism in taking on all the effects. It's a baptism in taking on all the consequences in our place of what our sin deserves. And when you think about it in this way, it's, it's a really interesting thing to think. Jesus 
is baptized. And even as he's in the waters of the water of Jordan, he's baptized with the sins that have been of our baptisms that have been washed away. Jesus is baptized with our sins that we might be baptized with his grace. Jesus is baptized, we can say like this, with our names. Because here's the reality. If you and I were to, to, to sort of have this sort of take, if, you know, think about it this way. From birth, you know, to, you know, to our death. Sort of just a, a, a journal, a, a diary of our lives. A record, so to speak, of who we are and what we've done. You and I, I hope you know yourself well enough to know like, it would not be enough for you to declare yourself, to, to say, yes, I'm, I'm righteous, I'm innocent. And there's a sense in which Jesus is taking the guilt of our names, Jesus is taking the guilt of our record in his, in his baptism at the cross in blood. And he's giving to us, in that moment, he's giving to us a new name. He's giving to us a new record. It's a name that rightly belongs to him. Namely, you're now beloved of God. It's a record that rightly belongs to him, which is a record of only ever loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And now he says, if you belong to him, this name is now yours. Yeah, I used to love it. It was one of the chief, you know, I grew up in a church that was, it was an Episcopal church, and it was a, it was a great church in a lot of ways. And uh, we would sing, we'd have like hymns, and then during communion time, we would sing these like really cheesy, like, like not like just 90s cheese worship songs. But there was this one called I Will Change Your Name. And like, I mean, I'm not going to sing it for us because that would be awkward. But I just remember like that, that song for me. Like that idea for me, that this idea that the Lord has given you a name which rightly belongs to him, but it's a new name. It's a new record. It's a new standing. It's a new relationship with God. It's, you're no longer living in the guilt of your sins and the guilt of your record. You're living in the grace of Jesus and in the grace of his record. And it's a name that I hope that you long for. And it's a name that I hope that is becoming more and more true of you. Uh, Mark Twain um, yeah, you know, I read it was a couple of years. I've never read a ton of Twain, but there's a book I read probably five or six years ago that I've loved called *The Prince and the Pauper*. My kids have read it too, so it's like I read it as a 30 year old, but it was like for kids, which just seems right up my alley for some reason. And the idea, a simple story. So essentially, you have this pauper who's used. He's grown up in poverty. He's grown up in abuse, and he gets to the palace gates one day, and he's sees this prince who's been treated with royalty his whole life. And then this kind of the way it happens, they, there's a mix-up where the, the prince lets the pauper try on some of his clothes and they have this conversation. But then at that moment, the guards come in and they mistake the pauper for the prince and the prince for the pauper. And uh, there's this incredible mix-up. So the pauper goes from abuse and the pauper goes from sort of growing up in poverty to being treated literally as a prince. And the prince does the opposite. The prince you know, goes into this a family where he's abused. He embraces poverty. He embraces the hardships of the, the pauper's life. And there's a real sense, as, was, you know, as we can really say, that like Jesus literally at the cross is what he does. The prince literally becomes the pauper. That you and I, that, that you and I who, are, who, are spiritually, who are spiritually worse, spiritually homeless, spiritually, you know, Revelation says you're, we're, we're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. That we have nothing. And yet Jesus gives us everything. That, that, that really at the cross, the, the prince really does become the pauper that you and I, the, 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 the poor, the needy, you and I, the spiritually poor and needy, might become rich. And might become literally princes and princesses of God. And that's part of how Jesus begins to fulfill and transform it. Well, what does it mean for you? How does it begin to apply to you? Just three things I want to think about that begin to change the way that we do life when we think about the third commandment. Here's the first. You're taking the name of the Lord in vain if you're living more for your own than for his. 
You know, it sounds cliche, but it's really true to say we're always either praying one of two things. We're always either praying, hallowed be thy name, or praying, hallowed be my name. We're always either doing things that are going to make ourselves look greater, they're going to make ourselves more beloved, they're going to make ourselves more celebrated, or we're doing things that are going to make the gospel and Jesus and the kingdom sweeter and more beautiful to those around us. There's a real sense, you know, we can think about the difference between Jay-Z and Henry now. And Jay-Z, you know, he has this famous line where he sort of says, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. And there's a sense in which he's sort of, in this one, and loves, I love lots of his music, but there's a sense in which he's saying, listen, like, I'm building this kingdom and it's really about me and I'm going to enter into all kinds of different things. And then Henry Nowen, if you know his name, Henry Nowen was a Catholic. He became a Catholic priest, but for a long time he was a professor at Harvard, genius, well respected and loved and he left his professorship at Harvard to actually go care for physically disabled people in this retreat center and it's a beautiful story where he essentially left the public sphere to labor his life the rest of his life away in obscurity and you and I we don't know what to do with that because we even like our pastors to be celebrities we don't have a category for a pastor who wants to labor in obscurity and yet has these incredible gifts and yet Henry now is saying not hallowed be my name how it be thy name, and whatever you call me to is where I want to be. Here's number two. Taking the Lord's name in vain, you're taking the Lord's name in vain if you're pretending to be something you're not. Um, this is where, you know, I went to see Frozen last week, and this is Prince Hans in, in Frozen, where he pretends to be everything, and, 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 and you know, it, at first he sort of, he seems like the real deal, but there's a hidden motive. There's something beneath the surface that's going on with him. He's pretending. He's, he's pretending for something else. He's pretending for gain. Uh, he's pretending to, to be sincere, but he really wants other things. Um, and I think this is where, you know, the Lord, when he says to us, we can't serve two masters. There's a real sense in which we're either going to be... Part of why we have to crown him or kill him is you can't, you can't live for two different things. You have to either live wholeheartedly for the Lord or you're going to live wholeheartedly for something else and give your life to something else. So taking his name in vain if you're pretending to be something you're not. And then lastly... You're taking his name in vain if you're not actually taking full advantage of all the privileges of what it means to belong to him. You know, there's a real sense that, you know, you can think about two ways. One is, you know, all of the blessings of what it means to be a Christian. And sometimes it's like, just, can I put it this way? Sometimes it's like we, are, we have all the blessings of what it means to be a Kardashian and all the riches of that world. And yet we live like we're a Duggar. Where we're like... I don't know if that works or not, but it works for me. Where there's a sense in which, not lifestyle, there's a sense in which riches, abilities, and we don't even, we don't, we don't access them. When's the last time you, you prayed, you know, my first used to call it praying down the promises of God. When's the last time you said to God, Lord, I know that you are Jehovah Jireh. You might not say it like that, it sounds a little cheesy. But Lord, I know you are a God who provides. And Lord, you know what my family's going through, you know what I'm going through. It might be financial hardship, it might be emotional hardship, it might be physical. I don't know what it is. The Lord knows. And you go to him and say, Lord, I know who you are. Lord, would you reveal yourself in this way in my life? Or another way of saying it, it's like, we, it's like we've got the winning lottery ticket, but we're not cashing it in. We, we're, like, we're holding on to it, but we're not actually taking it in and reaping all the benefits of what it means to be the Lord's. You know, I think about, uh, close with this. There's a scene, and in, in, in think about the idea of what it means to, to bear his name and have his name. There's a scene in the movie Cinderella Man that I love where Russell Crowe's character 
He's about to go do the big fight, and he's got that scene where he's sitting with Renee Zellweger, and she's sort of trying to talk to him and remind him who he is, and she says this to him. She says, maybe I understand some about having to fight, so you just remember who you are. You're the bulldog of Bergen and the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope and the kid's hero, and you're the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. And it's a scene, like, as I'm watching, I'm like, okay, like, I'm ready to go fight. <laughs> a woman that believes in me like this. And, uh, and there's everything in me that wants to say to you, remember who you are. You're a child of God. You're, you're precious in his sight. You are, are one who is an heir of grace. You are one who is a new creation in him. You are one who belongs to him and will be with him forever. And there's a sense in which when you remember the name of the Lord and that that is now your name, there's a sense in which that's the power to begin to live as a Christian. The worst thing in the world is a Christian who's forgotten his name and is struggling like crazy to even remember the grace the Lord has shown you. The identity that the Lord has given you. And that's the power to begin to live faithfully for him. But let's pray. Uh, Lord, we all need to be reminded in that way. And Lord, we need your forgiveness because you know even today that, that we have not, um, we've not been the people that you've called us to be. And Lord, I haven't been the person that you've called me to be as a, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a campus minister. Um, and Lord, I, I know I'm not alone and we need your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you. That's, that's why you sent Jesus and Jesus, we thank you that that's why you came for us. And yet, Lord, I, I do pray that you would remind us afresh tonight of the glories of what it means to belong to you and to have your name. Um, and we pray that you would bring that home to our hearts in new and fresh ways. We pray these things in your name, Lord Christ. Amen. Do it.